So today, as we get into to the second half of chapter 12, Paul has been spending the last little bit, the last couple chapters, engaging in, in foolish boasting. And remember, he does this in order to undermine these false teachers. Paul wants to show the Corinthians how foolish this boasting is so that way that they associate foolishness with these false apostles because that's exactly what they are doing. But as we get into this letter today, the tone kind of changes a little bit. So the last couple chapters, Paul has been boasting to undermine the false apostles, but now he's going to turn his attention on the Corinthians and really let them know that in, in, in many ways they're acting like fools as well. Because here's the thing, is that while he was with them, all the true signs of an apostle happened. Signs, wonders, miracles. In addition to that, people are getting saved. Lives are being changed. So all the signs of a true apostle were evident and they received, this, they received the same care, the same love, the, the same um, teaching that any other church that had been planted by any other of the other 12 apostles. They received that they, they didn't lack in anything. They weren't somehow um, missing something because it was Paul planting the church and not Peter per se. They didn't miss out on anything except the one big difference uh, between them and certainly with what these false apostles were trying to do is Paul was never a burden on them. No matter how many times he visited, he didn't accept anything from them. He took care of them. And he wonders, you're going to see him wonder today, why is it that I am to be loved less because I didn't take anything from you? And then finally, he's going to express his concern for what he might find when he visits this third time that he's planning to visit. He's wondering what he might find and what they're going to be like. So let's get started. 2 Corinthians 12, cha uh, sorry, chapter 12, verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. So Paul admits to being a fool for using the same tactics the same boastful tactics of all these false prophets. You know, Paul really wants to make this clear that he's being a fool. You'll notice that he says this over and over and over again because he wants to point out, he really wants the Corinthians to see that what he's doing is foolish and that it's going to be applied to the, to the false apostles. By demonstrating his own foolishness, he's hoping that they're going to make the connection. It's going to click and say, well, wait a minute. If you're being foolish by this, all the stuff we've been listening to to these other false teachers and apostles, well, they've been being foolish as well. He's trying to undermine what they're doing. But the thing was is that the, the Corinthians should have been. He says, look, I've been a fool. You forced me to. You guys actually made me do this because you were so enamored by these other false teachers. You were so enamored by what they were saying. You forced me to act a fool, but I should have been commended by you. You know, when, when they started spreading false rumors and all these, these horrific attacks against Paul, the Corinthians should have been standing up for him. I mean, after all, Paul was their spiritual father. He's the one that planted the church. He's the one that invested in their lives. He's the one that put the time in and as we've already uh, talked about briefly, and he has before, he, he, he did it for free. He didn't ask anything of them. It was all about their well-being. And the very existence of this gathering of believers whose lives had been changed by the Holy Spirit through Paul uh, was evidence of Paul's faithfulness. Uh, faithfulness and also evidence of the truth of his ministry. 
The Corinthians were the, the seal of approval for Paul's work. They were his letters of recommendation. You remember the false teachers and the false apostles, they came with a big bag of credentials. You know, they rolled out their diplomas and their letters of recommendation. And Paul says, I, didn't, I don't have any of that. I don't need any of that. You are my letter of recommendation. You are my seal of approval. The fact that you're not who you used to be, that you've been changed, is evidence that what I'm bringing is true. They should have been the ones boasting about Paul. Not Paul having to boast about himself. He says, you forced me to it. So Paul has to act a fool because they're being walked all over by these false apostles. He's the one having to deal with the attacks when it should have been the Corinthians defending him. That's actually the, the interesting thing is, is that it's, Paul, it's the, the, the Corinthian church's own failure is what Paul has to use as a defense for acting like a fool. They forced him to do it because they weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And he makes it clear again that he's not at all inferior to these super apostles, these false teachers coming in with their big bag of credentials and all the talk, but none of the action behind of it. He says, he says that I'm not inferior to these even a little bit. Matter of fact, I think... From, Paul would probably never make the argument. But we can all argue that Paul was vastly superior to these false teachers, these false apostles. Paul was always humble, even, even in his bragging. He doesn't even brag very good because he's careful about, uh, about still maintaining the truth that God is the one that gave everything and not him. But he says, I'm not inferior to these super apostles because they're not even real apostles. These are false apostles. Matter of fact, a couple of chapters ago, we remember Paul says that they are, that they are, are, are sons of Satan, that they're, they're disciples of Satan. And Paul probably never even expected to have to defend himself against these false apostles. You know, I bet that's probably the hardest part of this for Paul is, is this probably caught him off guard. Why would he even have to defend himself against these, these crazy people coming? And you would think the Corinthians who loved him, he spent a year and a half with them, developed relationships. You would think that at least some of them would defend him. But they were swept off their feet by the smooth talking of these false teachers. They were swept off their feet by the, the signs and wonders that they, they, they said that they did the spiritual talk, all those things. And they were, they, were, they were really catering to exactly what the Corinthian church wanted. Remember, they were big on the spiritual gifts and these guys were coming in, talking up a good game. And they turned away in shame of their own apostle because they somehow began to think that he was too weak. He was too afflicted. He was too tongue-tied. And apparently he didn't look apart. So instead of defending their apostle, who had true signs, who actually saw their lives change, instead of defending them, defending him, they were turning in shame of him and listening to these false teachers. And then it turns out that because of that, the, and, and we're going to see as Paul pushes on this, as it turns out that the Corinthians were made to be the fools for listening to these guys for allowing themselves to be led astray, they themselves were being fools by listening to the foolish boasting, by being caught up in it and being drawn in. 
And they actually dishonored themselves by betraying their, their, their pastor, their apostle, and failing to de defend him. And then finally Paul ends, even though I am nothing. <laughs> Paul is terrible at boasting and bragging. Like he just, he, and it's, it's because of who he is. It's his character, it's his heart. So this isn't a, a bad thing about him. It's actually a great thing about him. But even when he's trying to use boasting as a technique, he always follows it up with, I'm being a fool and actually I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nothing. He says something else to bring it down, which is probably the right thing to do but not effective when you're trying to boast. But as I'm looking at this and studying it, this probably isn't even a response to the false teachers. This probably isn't a, a response to the false apostles, but this is rather really how Paul sees himself. He sees himself as nothing. And you see this not just to the Corinthian, uh, uh, the Corinthian church, although you see it a couple times. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. And in Philippians, this is the Philippian church, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul is always reiterating that in and of himself, he's nothing. And this isn't the, the, the self-deprecating, humble bragging that you'll see from, uh, from some people. There, especially several years ago, there was this, this, this common theme and, and many uh, 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 teachers was that they were trying to see how low they could be. You know, I'm lower than, a, you know, I am like, I'm nothing. I'm like a worm. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm even lower than a worm. You know, they was always trying to, to humble brag themselves, which was really a, a type of pride, which is interesting. They were being prideful in how low that they, that they could claim that they were. That's not what Paul's doing here. Paul just has a healthy and, and real understanding of who he is in Christ. He recognizes in and of himself, he is nothing. But in Christ, like he said, when I am weak, I am strong because it's Christ working through him. Paul understands that about himself. And he continues on. In verses 12 through 13, he says, The signs of a true apostle, apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. You know, I don't know exactly what the Corinthian church thought were the signs of a true apostle. I'm not sure what was their checklist that says, if they do these things, then they must be a real apostle. Because when Paul came in, he came in and did real signs and wonders and miracles. Stuff took place that they'd probably never seen before. But somehow, in their head, they, they began to create this mental checklist of what a real apostle looks like. Well, if it's an apostle of God, then they must be able to speak well. He must look good. They must be handsome. They must wear the right clothes. They must carry themselves right. They must come with plenty of recommendations. You know, a real apostle, he's going to have the credentials to back up what he, what, what, what he, he says that who he, is, who he is. So if you have these things, if you look good, you can talk good, and you have the credentials, you can come in and you can convince the Corinthians that you're an apostle, and you can get away with whatever you want with them. But when Paul was there, it was different. First, he was the first one there. 
Not one of these so-called super apostles that came with their good looks and credentials. He was the one that was there. He's the one that planted this church. He's the one that ministered to them for a year and a half. And there was more than just good looks or clever speech when he was there. But there was evidence. There were signs. There was wonders. There were miracles that took place when Paul was there. He says, look, when I was here, signs and wonders and mighty works happened when I was there. These are evidence, true signs of an apostle. And while none of these events in Corinth Corinth are actually recorded in the book of Acts, we do see that miracles that God worked through Paul's hands did happen in other churches. We know that in Philippi that that miracles happen. You can read through the book of Acts and see that miracles happen in Philippi and in Ephesus. So they're not recorded in, in, in the book of Acts for the Corinthian church, but it's likely that they happen. And Paul says here, we don't know what they were specifically, but Paul says that these events did happen. The signs, the wonders, and miracles happened. And since we see them in other churches, I think we can safely deduce that very similar things were happening in Corinth. Not the least of which were changed lives, changed people. You know, I think for us, when we read about this stuff and we, we talk about miracles and, and signs and wonders, you know, we, in our head when we think about this stuff, we, we think, you know, supernatural healings. Or we think, uh, you know, like, well, what happened in the Old Testament? We had, you know, food fall from the sky. We had, uh, we had a, a hammer float. You know, that's what we think about, mighty works and miracles. And we see it in the, the New Testament, right? The, the, the lame jump up, the blind see. This is what we see as miracles. But we forget that the greatest miracle that happens is when someone says yes to Jesus, they are supernaturally transformed and made brand new. That was not the least miracle that happened where all the changed lives in Corinth. And every single one of you that have said yes to Jesus have had that same miracle take place inside of you. And I've watched so many of you grow as the Lord has begun to to change you, as it's begun to live out in your life. And I see that miracle take place. And I want you to know that that is a miracle. Changed lives is a miracle. You know, this is the same argument that Paul made to the, to the, the church in uh, Thessalonica as well. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And then he goes on to say, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. These things were evidence to the kind of men that Paul and his ministry team were, those who were ministering with him. I also find it interesting that he says right here that we performed these amongst you with utmost patience. Other translations say great endurance or great perseverance. You know, and, and uh, the, the cynic in me wants to say, man, these must have been tough people. She had to put up with them for all of this. But really, I think Paul's just trying to say that this wasn't a fly-by-night ministry. Paul was there for a year and a half when he planted this church. He didn't show up, smack somebody on the butt, call him a pastor and leave and let them deal with it. He was there. He put in the time. With great patience, he ministered to these people. And I imagine it takes, it takes patience sometimes when you're ministering to somebody and they don't respond. Have any of you guys have ever tried to share the gospel with somebody and it's like they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to respond. And you just, wanna, you just have to be patient with them and keep praying for them and keep sharing and keep waiting for opportunities. But Paul wasn't a fly-by-night ministry. He was, he was there for the long haul. He cared about these people. 
for a year and a half his first visit. And the reality was is that the Corinthian church was shown just as much love, the same type of teaching, the same type of care, the same patience as any other church that was planted by any other apostle. You didn't get special treatment if Peter came out and planted your church. They weren't held back in any way. They didn't receive any less. He says, in what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches? And if they're being honest, there was no way that they were less favored. They received the same thing with one big difference. Except that I myself did not burden you. That was the only difference is Paul didn't burden the Corinthian church when he was there. And the thing is, is them being upset over this, because you'll remember, this is actually one of the arguments that the, uh, the, the, the other apostles were making, that somehow Paul was being sneaky or shady because he wasn't asking for anything. So Paul thinks this is kind of ridiculous, which is why you get this sarcastic response from Paul. As you read Paul's letters, there's actually quite often that Paul is a little sarcastic. He's a man after my own heart. But he says, forgive me this wrong. I think I would have liked to have met Paul. I would have probably liked him. But that's the thing, is he thought it was ridiculous. Like, you know, he, he's sarcastic with them. Forgive me this wrong. Because he never burdened them, not even once. And this is certainly something these false apostles could never claim about the ministry that they're trying to bring in. And then in verses 14 through 15, he says, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved the less? So Paul's already spent, uh, spent two visits in Corinth. The first time uh, we all know about was the uh, year and a half that he spent planting the church. And then the second one was after his first letter to the Corinthian church. After he sent that first letter, Paul visited one more time. And, and you'll notice that that's uh, in chapter 2 of, of this, that's the painful visit that he talks about. Things didn't go well. That's actually why he hasn't come back a third time, is he didn't want another painful visit. So this will be the third time Paul is talking about. But on both occasions that Paul's already been there, he was never a burden on any of the, 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 on the church at all. He didn't ask for anything. He came of his own of his own free will, and he came under his own expense to make sure that they were ministered to. And he intended to carry on this practice on his third visit. He's going to make one more visit, and he's, he plans on doing it again. He says, listen, for the third time I'm ready to come, I'm not going to be a burden again. Nothing is going to change when I come down this time. Paul, interest, Paul isn't interested in the, the Corinthian stuff. He's not interested in their money. He's not interested in any of that stuff, the only thing Paul is interested in is their spiritual well-being and their spiritual maturity. In uh, chapter 11, verses 7 through 12, he explains that this refusal to accept their help didn't mean that he didn't love them. Remember, that was the, one of the arguments that was being made, that if he didn't accept their help, that somehow he didn't love them, and that was the reason why. But he already explained that that wasn't actually the case. Um, and he also explained that he continues, he wants to continue to, to not receive the, or be a burden to them because it's also going to continue to help undermining these false apostles. Because that's one thing that the false apostles could never claim is that they weren't a burden on the Corinthian church. But here he's also going to go on to 
additional detail why he enacts this policy of not being a burden on the church. He more fully explains his reasoning behind it. And it's because Paul viewed the, the Corinthians as his spiritual children. And he says here, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Paul saw them as the spiritual children. He wanted to take care of them. And I know each and every one of us that has kids, we, can under, we understand this, that we're obligated to take care of our children when they're born. We're obligated to make sure that they have food and shelter and clothing, that they, that they learn, that they're disciplined, that they grow. We're, we're responsible for our children. And the thing is, is that children shouldn't be supporting their parents at least not in any, any um, properly functioning family. You know, you really shouldn't be sending your 10-year-old out to, to make a living to help take care of your household. That's the parent's responsibility. <laughs> you have to wait till they're at least 11, Abby. <laughs> but we all understand that, that have kids. And that's the thing about Paul is, because of his great love for them and because he viewed them as his spiritual children, he wasn't going to be a burden on them. He wanted to be a blessing to them. He wanted to help them grow. He wanted to make sure that they had everything that they need. And he didn't want to put any obstacle in the way that would cause them to, to go backwards instead of forwards. And because of his great love for them, he was happy to use all of his resources. He says, I will gladly spend. That means he'll gladly spend any of his resources, any of the stuff that he has. He'll gladly pour it all out to make sure that they're ministered to. But not only is he willing to spend, he says he's willing to be spent for their souls. You know, not only was Paul willing to spend his own personal resources, but he was willing to give up even his own life to make sure that they were ministered to, that they were that they were reached. He was concerned with the eternal security of their souls and he would give up anything. He would sacrifice anything. Just like any, real, any good parent would sacrifice anything for their kids, he was willing to sacrifice to make sure that they were on the right track. So he wonders, if I have that kind of love for you, if I am loving you like that, why am I to be loved less? Why do you guys think less of me when it's evidence when there's evidence for the great love that I have for you? Why is it that you return none of the love that Paul so freely gave to them? As I was thinking about this, I began to wonder, I wonder if God feels the same way about us. Truthfully, I'm convinced that God probably does. He wonders, why is it that I gave you everything? I sent my son so that you could have everlasting life. And there are still so many who reject it. So many who reject God's love. It's likely, the truthfully, when I look at Paul's ministry more, I really do see the parallels of him and, and Christ's ministry. Um, I'm, not, not, I'm not saying he's somehow theologically equal to Christ, but the reality is, is that Paul modeled his ministry on Jesus. And Jesus ministered freely. Jesus sacrificed freely. Jesus' only concern was with people. And Paul follows that to the same degree. His only concern is the people that he's ministering to. And he wonders, why is it that I'm to be loved less because I love you so much?
you know, if he was a lesser man, probably thought like me, he would probably at some point get fed up. Fine, you want me to treat you like them? Then I'll go ahead and do so. But the thing is, Paul just cares about his people too much. And then verses 16 through 18, he says, But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? You see, one of the things the Corinthians would have to admit, that's what he says here about granting that, is that Paul uh, was never a financial burden to them. It's not likely to come back and say, but, but Paul, yes, you were. The, the reality is that he never was, and they would have to grant that. But if that's the case, then for some reason, they must have decided that he was going to get money in some other sneaky way. That's what he says. Granted that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. They figured that he, he, he came up with some other way to get rich by coming and ministering to the Corinthians. And apparently someone had twisted his actions and beginning to tell the, began to tell the Corinthians that Paul was maybe using the collection of the saints for Jerusalem. He was actually just going to keep all that money. Or maybe some claimed that the collection was all a, a trick by which Paul and his friends would just skim money off the top. The whole purpose wasn't really to help the, the people in Jerusalem. They were just going to skim money off the top. Or maybe no one accused Paul of anything and he's just trying to get out of ahead of what he imagines that these false apostles are going to accuse him of. But it's likely that they were saying it for some reason. That's what he's saying. I was crafty, you say. They were accusing him of being crafty. Either way, no matter what his reasoning, the, the reasoning, it seems that Paul can't win. Paul tries to love them with everything that he has. He sacrifices everything and he just can't win. He doesn't take their money. He's still being sneaky and taking their money. At least that's what they're saying about him. So Paul begins to ask them, well, let me ask you some legitimate questions in response to that. He says, uh, how could he, basically, how could I have tricked you out of any money? How is it possible that I could have tricked you? Had any one of my my, the people that were with me taking advantage of you? He says, look, did, did any of those whom I sent with you take advantage of you? Did I take advantage of you? Had Titus, when he came down, did he take advantage of him? And of course, we know, and, and the Corinthians has to know, that, that no, they, they never did take advantage of him. The answer to this is no. And if they had found nothing wrong with Titus's conduct when he was down, then how could they find anything wrong with Paul's conduct? whom Titus was representing, right? Because Titus had learned how to walk from Paul. That's what he says here. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Titus was Paul's apostle, so everything Titus was doing is stuff that he had learned from Paul. So if, if Titus didn't take advantage of him, how could they say that Paul was taking advantage of them? They're in the same spirit. They're walking in the same steps. Titus was only doing the same things that he saw his spiritual father do. And I wonder how this would come across. This would probably even carry more weight because Titus is going to be the one delivering this letter. They're going to be reading it and seeing Titus stand right in front of them and they have to answer that question, did Titus take advantage of me? But his behavior, Titus's when he showed up, his behavior among them would, would, would every single day be more and more evidence that 
that Paul's conduct was, was becoming of an apostle, that Paul wasn't actually being sneaky. And it would actually deal a blow to every time those who attacked him saying that he was, because one of his disciples was right there living in uh, completely contradictory to the way that they said that Paul was living. And he continues on. He says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. See, even with all the warnings, even with all the declarations that his boasting was foolishness, Paul's heart still shines through. And he still explains what's going on. You see, Paul was worried that even though he had said this over and over and over again, that they still might get the wrong impression and that he was just trying to build up his own reputation. Even though Paul states clearly over and over. I mean, I don't know many times as I'm writing notes on this and I'm like, man, these are almost the exact same notes I wrote for last week because he's saying the same thing over and over and over. He wants, it to, he wants the Corinthians to really get it, that this is foolish boasting. But he's still worried that they might get the wrong idea. So just in case, Paul refutes this idea one more time. And here's the thing. He wants them to know that it's actually not uh, to the Corinthians that he was speaking. It was not in front of the Corinthians, but it was before God. He says, you think we've been defending ourselves to you, but it's in the sight of God that we've been saying these things. You see, Paul was confident that the words that he was saying would pass God's judgment. And that all that he had done was for the benefit of the Corinthian church and for those who were in it, everything that he had done. So from a human level, this boasting that Paul was doing, it's foolishness. It's not worth anything. But in this specific context, the, the purpose was done in Christ so that they would recognize the foolishness of it. And then it would allow Paul to have an inroad in again and to help build up the church. The whole point of this was not to defend himself to them, but it was to, to build up the Corinthian church. It's amazing how different intent can make with the things that you're saying and the purpose behind what you're doing. Even his boasting, which, which he said over and over and over again was foolish, the purpose behind it wasn't to build up his reputation, but instead it was to ensure that the Corinthians were built up and that they weren't going to be swept away by these false apostles. Paul's primary concern has always been the Corinthians and that they would have their, their faith firmly grounded and that they would continue on in that pure devotion towards Christ. And Paul knew that God himself could see his motives. And that's who he has to answer to anyway. And that everything that he did was out of love for the Corinthian church. That's what the whole purpose of this is here. He says, look guys, I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm trying to build you up. And God is my witness to all of these things. And then finally, we're going to end right here in verses 20 through 21. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. And I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may not have to mourn, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. You see, now Paul is no longer playing the part of the fool. 
He continues now speaking in Christ and he directs his attention at the Corinthians. See, previously he had been, he had been really dealing with those who were slandering him, these false apostles, but now he turns his attention towards the Corinthians. And he begins to express his fear over what he might see when he shows up. You see, he's concerned that between them being disobedient and disregarding his instructions on either his visits, the first two visits, or the first letter that he's already seen. And, and actually, if you do some studying, it turns out that there's probably two other letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that we don't have. But in all these letters that he's written and, and all these visits, he's worried that they haven't learned anything, that they haven't corrected, they haven't repented. And then when he gets there, he's going to find that they're still in a state of disarray. Basically, all the stuff that he dealt with in the first letter to the Corinthians, um, we're going to see all that stuff still in place. There'll still be division. There'll still be gossip. There'll still be slander. He's concerned about that. He wants to know, will they be living as disciples with a pure devotion towards Christ, or will they be living in a mess, beholden to the sin that they should have been repenting from? Will there be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder when he gets there. Because here's the thing. If they're still there when Paul gets there, he's going to have to deal with it. You see, that's what he says. He says, I worry that when I find you, I may not find you as, as I wish. And that when you, you may find me not as you wish. I think that's what's going to happen is that is that if he goes there and sees this stuff, instead of seeing the loving father, instead of seeing the father that, that wants to walk alongside them and pat them on the back and encourage them, they're going to find a father that, that finds it necessary to discipline them. Because that's the thing, as a parent, you have to play all of those roles. You have to encourage them, you have to walk alongside them, but you also have to discipline them when it's necessary. And if any of you that have been parents, you understand that there's nothing fun about disciplining your kids. You want to see them successful. You want to see them grow. But a good parent also understands that it's necessary. Because if you don't correct that behavior, if you don't correct that action, even though it hurts to do so, even though sometimes you're just so fed up with having to do it because you're, uh, you're just tired of seeing the pain and the hurt that it causes when you do discipline, you know it has to be done so that they get on the right path. And that's the thing. These things that he mentions here, these aren't little things. These are the kinds of things that destroy churches. These are the kinds of things that rip churches apart, that split churches in half. They have to be dealt with. So Paul says, I'm worried that I'm going to find you like this, and then you're not going to find me as you want me to be. You know, and Paul doesn't want another painful visit. He's also concerned that when he comes, he says that he's concerned that God's going to have to humble him. Other translations say that God's going to have him humiliated before them. In other words, instead of him being proud, you remember in the beginning he talked about how he, he brags about them, he boasts about them to the other churches. He brags about what they're doing and what Christ is doing in their lives and their lives change. You know, like a, like a proud papa, he just talks them up over and over and over again, but he's afraid that when he shows up that all those things that he's been bragging about aren't going to be found true and he's going to be humiliated or made humble before God. Basically, the, he's going to be shamed 
by this church. You see, Paul had already instructed them in the first letter to deal with those who were caught up in all kinds of sexual sin, sexual impurity, these things here. And he's concerned that if those things aren't dealt with, then he's going to have to come down and deal with it. He says that I'm going to have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented. You see, this is something the Corinthian church should have taken care of with their own people. They should have taken care of it internally and dealt with these sins and not allowed the sin to flourish. And he's afraid that when he shows up, that it's not going to be dealt with. And then he's going to have to mourn over those who are still living in sin. And part of that is probably because it hurts to see your kids getting messed up in awful stuff. But also, he's going to have to enact discipline, and depending on what's going on, sometimes the discipline has to be pretty harsh. If there's people that refuse to repent of these things, he's going to have to ask them to leave. And he's going to have to mourn over them. That's not what he wants to see. This isn't the... No parent wants to be the disciplinary parent. But it is necessary from time to time. Even though it causes us sorrow, we still do it because we know that ultimately it's for their good. But ultimately, Paul hopes that this letter spurs them on to something better. You know, he doesn't say, I am going to find. He says, I fear I'm going to find. He hopes that by expressing these fears that they're going to self-evaluate and make some changes, that they're going to take a look at what's going on and cause corrections because he doesn't want to have sorrow. He doesn't want to cause them sorrow when he visits again. He doesn't want to cause them pain when he visits again. He wants to be the proud papa that walks alongside them and encourages them. He's already had one too many painful visits, and he doesn't want another. And just like any of us as parents want to be there to laugh with our children, to encourage our children, to live, lift them up and just love on them instead of disciplining them, he wants to do the same with the Corinthian church. But he will do whatever is necessary to ensure their spiritual well-being. Amen? Amen. Well, you know, this is one of those things that as we, we look at the Scriptures we can take a moment to reflect about how these would play out in our own lives. Are we dealing with stuff in our own lives? Are we being prideful in the things we should be, which is the Lord, boasting in the Lord, rather than boasting in ourselves? When we see issues, are we taking care of them? Or are we just waiting to be disciplined by somebody else? You know, I think we can all be challenged. We can all grow from these things and learn. That's the whole purpose of Scripture, so that we can learn from what is written. You know, are we being led astray because we don't have a solid foundation in the Word? Are we being led astray by other things? There's so many things that we can learn from this letter. But church, I would encourage you to just go ahead and, and ensure that you're living the life that God has called you to live, that you are living out that pure devotion to Christ, that you're not being distracted by any other thing and instead keeping your eyes on him. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Hallelujah. Looking around the room, I believe everybody in here has already said yes to Jesus, but if you're listening online for the first time, I want you to know that God loves you more than you can ever imagine, and that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
And the reality is, though, is that there is always a separation between us and God if we haven't received the free gift of salvation. And that, that, that barrier, that wall is sin. And we all have sin in our lives. Every single one of us has sin. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the thing about sin is that it has a required penalty, a required payment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the good news is, is it doesn't have to end in death for us because Jesus Christ, who was born on the, the we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus during Christmas time, but he was born so that he could live and then ultimately give up his life for us. He made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could live. And the only thing that we have to do to have our sins paid for, to remove that giant chasm that sits between us and God, is put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive the free gift of salvation. So this morning, if you're listening to my voice online, through the, through the podcast, or through YouTube, or Facebook, I just want you to know that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And that He wants you to be saved. That He wants you to be right with Him. But the only way to do so is to say yes to Jesus. So if that's you this morning, and you're, you're, you're tired of, of not measuring up, you're tired of not being right with God, you're tired of wondering where you're going to go when you die. Know that you can have an assurity that you'll be in heaven with God if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, I want you to reach out to me. Go ahead and say something in the comments. Go ahead and send me an email, make a phone call, and I'd love to pray with you because the only requirement is to put your trust in Him. The Bible says that that uh, we confess with our mouth and we believe with our heart and by doing those two things that we will be saved. So if that's you this morning and you're, you're ready to quit screwing around with all this other stuff, turn away from sin and turn towards God, just let me know so I can pray with you. Hallelujah.